Welcome to the Childcare Revolution podcast, where we talk about all things childcare. Hi, my name is Tegan. Hi, I'm Patricia. And I'm Stephanie. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hi, and welcome to EC Honestly with Kayla and Lisa. Here we discuss the ups and downs of working in the field of early childhood education. So listen, hopefully learn, and enjoy. So before I begin, I would just like to acknowledge with gratitude that I am speaking to you um, from Fort Moody, which is the unceded and traditional territory of the Coast Salish peoples, which includes the Kwekwitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Stolo peoples. So today's a pretty special episode because we're doing a crossover with um, Tegan and Stephanie from the Child Care Revolution podcast. Hi, everyone. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourselves? Because um, you are both from Ontario. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, so I'm Stephanie. I am a registered early childhood educator. I'm currently completing my master's of early childhood studies in Toronto at the Ryerson University. And I've been in the field for about five years doing a um, supply work as well as full-time educating. And over the pandemic, me and Tegan and Patricia, who sadly is not here right now, um, started this podcast. Oh, started the Child Care Revolution podcast. <laughs> I think that was kind of like the focus for a lot of us, because that's also where Lisa and I started, um, was literally just like pandemic. We got all this time on our hands and so much to say. So let's let's get out there and say it, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and my name is Tegan. Uh, I'm currently a degree student in early childhood leadership at George Brown College. I'm in my last year and I, um, I haven't had my, um, what do you call it? Because like in Ontario, we, we have to be registered in order to be called like early childhood educator. So um, yeah, I don't have that certification yet. I'm working towards it. Mm -hmm. So I've been um, in the sector as a early childhood assistant and doing supply work uh, for multiple child care programs. Cool. And um, Kayla, do you want to tell us about yourself a little bit too? Yeah, totally. Um, so my name is Kayla and I've been in this field, oh, I'm losing track of time. I want to say eight, eight to nine years. I, I can't quite pinpoint it. Um, and my journey is kind of funny. I actually, I had planned to go into early childhood when I left high school. And then I, instead I decided to go to school to get a diploma in makeup artistry and special effects. Um, so I worked in that for a few years and it was just so not for me. I just, I was not into like the retail and the sales and it was all about money and selling and this product does this and this does that. And just dealing with people being, it was a very, it can be a very toxic environment. Um, and you know, my growing up, growing up, my 
my life always kind of came back to ECE. My mom, um, own and operate to this day has owned and operated a family childcare since my brother was born. And that was literally, um, out of necessity being a, you know, a single mother needing an income, but also needing to take care of her child, you know, her children. And, you know, I, it was a world that I grew up in and it was a world that I fell in love with. And I saw the importance, um, and the necessity of, of that world. And not only that, but the, you know, the, the need to advocate why that, why this is important and why it's vital and why it's necessary. And that's kind of what drew me back into, um, into early childhood education. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, me too. I come from a single parent family as well. And I also grew up in home childcare, home-based childcare, not from my mother, but from a family friend. Right. And it, it's just interesting when you get to be like that, because you're, you as a child are also put in that position to help raise the other little kids around you too. Right. hundred percent. Like I remember, you know, growing up and, you know, it was funny, even my mom's licensing officer, you know, would jokingly say to me, like, as a nine, 10, 11 year old, like, oh, like, you're the vice president, right, <laughs> of, of this, of this association, you know, and there is, you know, you, it's, it's good in a way, because, you know, you learn certain skills of empathy that I think maybe not a lot of children might grow up with, because you are kind of put in that leading, caring, role you know you yourself as a child are also given the responsibility of like oh you know learning how to hold a baby properly or changing a diaper right and like you know parents you know the parents of those children that that adult in charge you know they trust you as a child to do those tasks you know to do those things as well right exactly exactly it's so interesting I think I wonder if that's a quality that a lot of us had given to us as a child you know it makes you think about it Totally. You know, and it's funny because um, I've always found that ECE is very, can be very intergenerational. Like, you know, if, if a parent was an ECE, it's more likely that, you know, your, your child might be an ECE, you know, that's true for my mom and I, um, I have a senior educator now that that's very much, and, and it's funny, it kind of always comes back to the single working mother, um, you know, there's such an element of care in that background that, you know, you're, you're not struggling, but you know, you, it's harder for that person to be a, you know, provider, you know, the sole provider for one child that is their own, but now they also have the ability to care for not primarily, but still give care to, you know, other people's children. Yeah. That's so true. I don't have like necessarily, um, that kind of experience. My mom did not work as a, uh, as an ECE or something, but um, she stayed home and she worked at home. Mm. She she was my caregiver, my principal caregiver and my brother's caregiver. And she did not work like outside the family her whole life. Oh, wow. So I totally agree that the element of care, it's intergenerational. Yeah. But, uh, we need to, to exist as humans anyways. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. That's so good. But um, on to what we were actually going to be talking about for the day. Uh, so... We wanted to do a little bit of a cross episode, just discussing the differences provincially. So yeah. Kayla's from BC. 
And then we are from Ontario. So that's a pretty long distance away from each other. Like, what is it? Over like, two days worth of driving? Yeah, like four, yeah. three, four provinces over. <laughs> yeah. Three provinces over. <laughs> you have to um, drive past many wheat fields to get to each other. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I, I've never done the drive before. I've only flown to Alberta, so I didn't even reach BC. I actually went to Yoho. So that's like the very outer. Yeah. Event, not even in BC. Um, Ontario. The furthest I've gone is um yeah, Alberta. And that was a drive, you know, driving to Calgary. And then we kept driving, um, kept driving towards Drumheller because even as a grown-up, I'm like the Ross Geller of women, right? I love dinosaurs. I don't know why I wasn't a paleontologist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's pretty interesting that neither of us have either seen anything of what BC is. Tegan, you do have a lot of experience now with policy work, right? I would say so. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've done an internship at a child care research um, policy research institute. So that's where I learned a lot about um, the disparities of child care policies across provinces and territories in Canada. Mm-hmm. Like um, the There's fact no, that like, was- federal mandate, it's literally, yeah. it's by province and by territory. Mm-hmm. And it, really like depending on where you were born that you would get like what kind of quality in child care which yeah. is really concerning absolutely like you're already at a disadvantage just by being born sometimes yeah and that's kind of like the social injustice aspect you know we as Canadians, I think we always kind of, you know, we look to our you know neighbors to the south and you know you see that sort of you know, storm that's going on down there and you're going oh thank god i'm a canadian not understanding that like yeah we are better off than some other places but that doesn't mean that it's the best there's so much more that can still be improved yes definitely that is so true um so yeah that just brings us to looking into how we function a little differently than one another. Obviously, this does not cover all of our provinces and territories. We are only looking into two of them, but it will give us a little bit of insight and hopefully we learn something new and you all learn something new too. For sure. So the first thing we wanna go over is just the politics. So what's happening in BC versus what's happening in Ontario? Um, What are the parties that are running these? political parties that are running the provinces and how does that influence early childhood education and care? Yeah. And I think one thing that, again, just needs to be driven, you know, home is that whether we like it or not in early childhood, in early childhood, childhood education, wow, can't talk today. um, (laughs) It's so political, like you cannot come into this field and not think that you can disassociate yourself from politics you very much have to be, you know, you don't have to be running for office or anything, but you do need to be very aware of, you know, what's happening and how that's going to affect you and your sector. You know, does that mean that you're going to be paid a decent living wage, which we have not gotten there in the last 30, 40 years, right? You speak to people who have been in this field, you know, since the late seventies, you know, early eighties, late eighties, and just that has not changed that, you know, it's been, that change has still is yet to make its appearance, right? 
Um, And you, you know, you do your research, you look into the history of it, and it always comes back to politics, policies. Do we value childhood? Do we value childcare? Do we value the fact that education is not just from kindergarten to grade 12? And then maybe if you want to continue it um, as an adult, but it's very much, you know, from birth. And, you know, until the day, until the day it's, it's our time to make, you know, the passing into the next life or whatever your beliefs are, right? Like education is an ongoing thing that is going to be very much part of your life from the day that you breathe your first breath. Even before that, like, it's just, it's all interconnected, like your family, if they're not getting that that need of education or care then how are they supposed to have you and be able to take care of you and educate you and so on and so forth and it just never ends yeah it's never ending yeah and that's very you know and again that's so based on politics and policies right like I spoke to um this was when I was first uh started on college I worked in uh I worked in uh child care and the um executive director there, I'm not going to say her name just, you know, for privacy reasons, if she doesn't want to be, you know, called out or anything, but um, she's now since retired, she's very well known in the, in the field of early childhood here in BC, um, more specifically in Vancouver, um, you know, and she was talking about how when she first went into EC, which I believe was in the mid to late seventies, Um, it was an NDP government and the, you know, there were a lot of women who were very excited to go into the field because it looked promising. It looked like an exciting field. It looked like something that was going to be worthwhile and, you know, taken not only seriously, but respected as something that was, you know, as, as important um, as having police officers or, you know, other respected um, sectors in society. And, you know, then um, I'm not sure about the, I'm not 100% sure about the facts of history, but then, you know, that party went out of power and everything just kind of slowly started spiraling downhill. And this once feel that was going to be so promising for all these young women was, you know, that was no longer the case. It's, I, (laughs) there's no words for how fast something can change. Yeah. Like even for us, just looking at, who so for us um early childhood education and care is under the ministry of education so looking at that and looking at our ministers of education how often it flip-flops from i don't think we've had i can't i can't exactly put my finger on it but i don't think we've had ndp but how much it flip-flops from a liberal conservative liberal conservative and they're only in there for like maybe one to three years as a minister so there's no consistency in who's operating these, these programs for early childhood education. Yeah. And I think that's a vast difference right there. Um, you know, between Ontario and BC, you're saying that in Ontario, early childhood is under the ministry of education. Well, in BC, we are, I think we are one of the last or one of the last two or whatever provinces that is not under the BC, um, ministry of education. We are actually under the, um, BC um, Ministry of, oh, what's it called? The Ministry of Family, Child, Child, oh God, I can't even, Child and Family Development, that's what it is. Yeah, Yeah. Um, and, you know, and when you're talking about 
that um, the Ministry of Children and Family Development that looks after yes childcare, but it also looks after you know indigenous um, child and family development, um, you know uh, adoption, fostering, youth justice, um, uh, you know protecting children, youth and family services. So that's you know immediately you're sort of put under that not necessarily seen as education and care, but more like a social service. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I mean, like, yes, in certain, um, in certain communities, that's very much where, where ECEs, you know, they kind of play both, you know, they kind of wear both titles where they are, you know, um, there to serve, you know, uh, the education uh, purpose that, you know, we've all gone to school with for that community. But, at the same time, understanding that, you know, for certain communities, there is a, a certain level of social work, um, for lack of better words, that, you know, you do kind of have to provide and and give, right? But, you know, when you are all under the title of being this social service, then that kind of, I've, I feel kind of nails back on the head that it's kind of coming back to this glorified babysitting service, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. you're not seen as an educator. You're kind of, you are basically under this umbrella that's there to be the glorified babysitter. Exactly. Like, it's just, um, thinking about it. And when you brought up schooling, it's just this huge disconnect from what we are being taught. And I think provincially, and if anybody disagrees with this, I think we're all pretty much taught the same thing. So we're taught to be researchers and educators and all obviously taking care of the care sector as well. Yeah. But we have a lot of focus on like theoretical frameworks, child development, reconceptualizing early childhood education and care. And then when you go to the actual program, sometimes it's not. No. It's not, you're not getting that from your education. No, not at all. So I think that's something that we see provincially. That's the same thing over and over and over again for our educators. 100%. And I think that's also like in, and I think this is something that a lot of people tend to forget um, in education in general, right? Like many a times, like I know I'll speak for myself here. And I mean, maybe this is also why, you know, many other people went into education, be it um, early childhood or, you know, high school or elementary school, but like I personally went into education because you see the wrongs that are being done in in those sectors right and so you know you go to school with the mindset of well okay now I have all this knowledge that is basically hitting on the head and saying that yes there are those wrongs that need to be changed and as newer um you know educators with this new knowledge this you know that's that's based on science and psychology like you know it's based on something like there there is research to to back up why we're making these changes and why these changes are good but you know then going into the field and trying to find a place that or trying to find a workplace that not is not only going to value that, you know, you are somebody new coming in with new education, you know, with all this new learning and these, all these new ideas, but that is going to actually advocate for those changes because, you know, as young ECEs, you know, I, and I think many of us have had this experience, you know, coming in with these new ideas, with this new knowledge that you want to implement and you want, you know, you want to do, you know, speaking to other early childhood educators who've been in the field for, you know, 20 plus years, 
and challenging you as to why are you dare, why do you dare change this system that has been running like this for, you know, X amount of years, you know, the, the idea of why change it if it's not broken? Well, not understanding that it is extremely broken and that's why we need to change it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't even know if broken's a word for it. It's like, for us as educators, it's like non-existent, I think. Like, we just feel like there's nothing there. Everyone else is like, but I can send my child to daycare or childcare, whatever people feel like calling it at that point in time. And and those are very few people that can do that. And yeah. we're looking to see it for everybody. Totally. And- like, it's, it's not something that is accessible to everyone when it should be, you know, and this is, and again, I think even here in BC, just making that change from being under a ministry that is more, you know, again, kind of goes more into the social services versus the education, right? Like, immediately, you know, and this is something that I never really thought about until it was kind of presented to me, and I had to do a lot of self-reflection was, you know, we, we don't shame people for sending their children to school, you know, elementary, yeah. high school, um, regardless of employment, right? We just see it as something that children should do because it is beneficial for them. But we don't see that when we're talking about childcare, you know, if, uh, if a mother's on mat leave, or if, uh, you know, if there's a parent is um, unemployed, but they still choose to bring their child to childcare, there is an element of shame that they face because you know and and it's multifactorial right like and a lot of the times it's because there's there's no space like there are no spaces for for these children for children to be going to to child care right so when you have somebody who you know is using child care for the for the purpose that it's there for right like for the education factor of their child they they're met with an element of shame because that spot could have gone to somebody who actually needs it Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just thinking of the uh, Harper federal campaign when they were getting rid of the national child care system. And it was, mm-hmm. it was uh, parents have the right to raise their children the way they want to. And that was their biggest their thing. campaign slogan. Yeah. Always. So Always was, that excuse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's ending like, well, then that also means that parents should have access to quality childcare because it's serving the education of the education of the child. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And the choice of the parents. If exactly. the parents don't have a choice, then it's, it's no. not a choice. And it's really stupid, like how it always comes back to like, it's the parents' right. It's the parents' right. Okay, that's that's great. Like, yes, families should have options. You know, we're not saying that that's not, you know, that's not a good thing, but you're masking these options you know, the real intention of what you're wanting to do is literally come back to this idea of forcing women back into the home to raise children. Exactly. Like that's literally what it's coming back to, you know, men should be out there working and women should be homemakers. And while that may work for some families, and if it does work for some families, that's wonderful. And you should do that if that's what's going to work for you. Don't force me to do it if that's not what I want or that's not what's going to work for me. Yeah. And it's again, such- that's basic feminism. Don't force me to do something I don't want to do. It is. It is political. ECEC is so political and it entails like the bigger question that you just mentioned, Kayla, like like mothers, labor, it's basically free labor. 
And they want us to do that because it's the most convenient for them. Like they don't have to spend all this money to provide care. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this will just keep rolling and rolling and rolling into the <laughs> expenses of cost of living. You need a dual income and so on and so forth. But 100%. Yeah. Like, we cannot live on one income. Like, <laughs> I think, and I think that's, I think it's interesting because, like, I think BC and Ontario were kind of on par with our, you know, with our cost of living. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's my, so bad. It, it's awful, right? Like, and, and I'm, and I realize that I'm speaking from, from a place of privilege. And I say that because, you know, yes, I grew up with a single parent. Um, you know, I, I worked full time so that I could go to school part time because I didn't want to have, you know, student loans because savings was just not something that was really going to be, uh, you know, it, it was not an option, right? Like I, I was not able, I did not have the privilege to save all this money to go to school. It was either you pay for it yourself or you rack up a student debt. And, you know, I chose, I was very lucky at that time that I was able to live at home rent free. Um, and all that money was just able to go to education. Right. And now, you know, being an adult that I am working, like, yes, I live, you know, in a house, which in, British Columbia, that's like, you've won the lottery if you're able to buy a detached house with your own land. But that was not me. That was my husband. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, you know, as a woman, as somebody who views herself as strong leadership, you know, boss. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can't have this lifestyle that I have right now, if I was not married to somebody who makes like double what I make, right. And you know, and it's sad to think about, but at the same time, that's also something you have to, you know, I've just come to the realization too. And I have to admit, and I understand where, where that luck is coming from. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying that I just married my husband to have a, like, you know, <laughs> like, don't tell him that. No. Right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that, and that's not what I'm saying here. It's just like recognizing that in, you know, you know, and my, cause money, money is a factor, right? Like you can't live unless you make a living and, you know, could I live on my own if, you know, I wasn't married? Yeah. It would be hard cause it would be hard. Um, could I do it? 100%. Is it easier because I have, you know, we we've merged two incomes and one of them just happens to be significantly higher. 100%. <laughs> you know what I mean? These thoughts go through my head all the time because I'm also <laughs> like brought up single parent family. Me and my mom, she raised me to be super independent. And then I just feel like this crushing of needing to depend on people constantly. Like what? it's just coming. And yeah. it's like, I'm not even 25 yet. And to feel like that already is just <laughs> like. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, are you up, Kayla? Like, but I mean like it's it's things that sad you know they're sad and it's unfortunate but that's reality Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and like you know even um and I mean like here in BC we are quite fortunate now because um our last two provincial elections we actually um did elect an NDP majority government um, our first election, excuse me, um, was, uh, God, I can't even remember the, the, 
the full details of it, but basically what ended up happening was um, the Green Party and the NDP basically had to merge and form a majority government in order to kick the Liberals out, um, which worked in our benefit. Um, and now the last election that we had, which was in October, now we have an NDP majority government. And we, you know, in the field of early learning, we are seeing that, you know, slowly we are starting to see what benefits that has had. We're nowhere near where we should be. Um, and we're nowhere near achieving like the full goals that we want, but we are significantly better you know, where he was, you know, there's been progress um, that has been significantly better than when we had a liberal government. So how has it been with, um, would it be the Minister of Child and Family Development? Is that how so, it? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. Um, um, and I'm honestly not 100% sure kind of if this is a new position or not, but so we have the Ministry um, of Children and Family Development and the minister right now is the Honorable Katrine Conroy. Um, and she, her background is basically that she was a, um, one of BC's like first female power engineers. Um, she did actually work as an early childhood educator um, and an executive director of a multi-service nonprofit agency, as well as a college instructor. So, I mean, there's a lot of background there and a lot of knowledge that would say like, yes, this is the right person who should be in charge of this ministry. Right. Cause God forbid that we should, you know, actually give titles to people who actually have knowledge in that sector right like and I know that's very the foreign different. concept yeah and I know <laughs> I know you know we've briefly spoke about this like that's very different in Ontario right yeah so um I like how you called her the honorable we do not call him the honorable we just avoid that title <laughs> at all costs <laughs> um <laughs> a little shady on on my end but on it's okay um so we have Stephen Lecce who is our minister of education and he's been in power as a minister since 2019 okay. and um he has no no background in education whatsoever he went to um uh university in Ontario for uh policy studies which is cool that's very helpful and very useful but like can we add a little bit of educational background into that policy studies so that we can like <laughs> mix it up a bit make it more useful um so yeah so he's been in that position uh he was handpicked from the harper government of course um harper came in i guess was at the school um this is from a site that i bought i can link it later yeah. and basically had a conversation with him he was uh, the lead of the student union and liked him so much that he hired him on the spot. Then once the Ford government comes in, Ford puts him as the minister of education and we have him now and it's been an utter mess. Um, Tegan was just talking about the one story. If you want to, if you want to share that, that happened earlier. Yeah, it was pretty infamous of him. So it happened uh, recently, like January, 2020 okay. when so if you if you have heard about like the full day kindergarten team in Ontario, so we have a partnership between um, a kindergarten teacher and a designated early childhood educator mm -hmm. um, working together in a kindergarten classroom. And in one of his interview, he referred to the team as having one early childhood assistant and one teacher. 
okay, buddy. Like, no, <laughs> that's not the same. <laughs> that just proves like how knowledgeable he, he is. Absolutely. About. And, and I mean, like, it's, it's not the simple factor of like, just making a mistake, which is something that I think a lot of these supporters kind of go back on, like, you're shaming him for making a mistake. Well, if you are, in fact, the Minister of Education, should you not at least have an awareness of why these different titles are, you know, they're different for a reason. And it's important to, you know, to make that distinction, you know, exactly. Me, it's not I, like, Oh, sorry. 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 I, no, I was just going to say like, you know, myself, I'm an infant toddler educator because I've gone to school to get, you know, that the, you know, the, the, that little bit more knowledge to say that I know how to work specifically with infants and toddlers, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to compare me to an educate, you know, an ECE assistant, you know, it's, it's not the same thing. Like, could that ECE assistant do my job if they had to? Sure, of course they could like it and they have, you know, because of because of regulations, because there's no educators, many a times we've had to hire people with less than qualifications because we're in desperate need to just have somebody be there in the classroom to, you know, to fill licensing requirements. And that's a whole other can of worms, right? But under no circumstances are we going to say that these, you know, these two people are equal because it's not. No, it's not. Like even even for us, it's we literally only have three roles in the educating system. So I could be wrong, but we have our teachers, we have our ECEs, and we have our ECAs. Right. There's literally three three people or types of positions and it's not that hard. Like for instance, I think in Manitoba they have like ECE ones, ECE twos, ECE threes. Mm-hmm. or ECAs and then ECE2s and ECE3s. So like there's already that level and then you have to find your teachers and everybody else in that as well. But for us, yeah. it's not. It's just like, that's the line it goes in. And but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting too, though, because, um, and I'm not very aware of Manitoba politics, um, but my uh, from my little understanding that I do have of there is um, there has been more um like more of a fight to put more wages or to put more funds towards the ECE community because again that is seen as a vital important necessary sector that is going to benefit you know the young like the littlest people in our society and when you put that importance on you know little people and care and education of little people then we are you know we're doing as a society we're doing ourselves a better service right Exactly. Yes. Like it's just the undervaluedness of our, of our profession is, it's exhausting. It is 100%. <laughs> um, and I mean, like you have to be your biggest advocate. You have to fight for yourself. Right. And, and again, this is why we kind of come back to this idea that it is very much a political sector. You know, you, you have to know what's happening because it's in direct correlation of what's going to happen with, you know, having employment, having, you know, wages, um, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Right. Like, and so it's coming back to this, um, to this minister, minister idea. Like, I don't know if this is a new position. I'm actually not certain about these details and I've been trying to find it and I've yet to kind of come to an answer. But right now what we do have is somebody who is the minister of the state for childcare. 
Um, and her name is uh, Katrina Chen. And she um, was sworn in in July 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and she actually served as a trustee on the on the one of the um, min min municipalities here, um, mm -hmm. Burnaby, as one of the uh, Board of Education. And she's worked in I think provincial and federal um, offices for like 10 years. Um, and the background that she has for schooling is, you know, poli sci, um, a minor in history, um, you know, uh, she has a certificate, I believe in immigration law policies. Um, and very much, um, you know, the reason I think that she kind of went into this position was, you know, being the mother of a young child, you know, she kind of understood that, affordable childcare was going to, you know, is, is vital, right? Like, and we say this all the time, a lot of the times, many people don't understand why childcare quality, affordable childcare is important until they're literally faced with it. And they have to make hard decisions based on lack of childcare or lack of, lack of um, finances. Exactly. Like, I think uh, this was a conversation we had with our advocacy group earlier on in the year. And it was it wasn't until a lot of the politicians started having babies. And that's exactly it. Then it becomes a big issue. As soon as it happens to yourself, to somebody, you know, very closely, you don't care. Yeah. And that's fair. And totally. like, and even for uh, people that I'm friends with, they have no idea what's going on. And I'm like, just wait a couple of years until you decide to have a child or one just pops up in your life and <laughs> that care, then you're going to really care about the people that take care yeah. of your child. Totally. So, and that's happened to a couple of friends of mine as well. Right. Where they literally, they've given birth and they're like, what should I do about childcare? And I'm like, well, you know, you probably should have put your name on when you were pregnant. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like, and, and I mean, like, I say that and it sounds funny, but that's the reality. Like, yeah. and, you know, and, and it's sad because, you know, uh, in a few places that I have worked in, we have, you know, we've had instances where women who were newly pregnant, like had just found out they were pregnant, you know, have called and been like, okay, you know, this is, this is potentially when I'm going to need childcare, I need to put my name on a wait list now. And they're maybe like not even two months pregnant at that time, but they understand that I need to get my name on a wait list because I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, and especially if there is a place that you value more than others, yeah. because, you know, that's important as well, right. As a parent doing your research to see where it is that you, you know, what's where, who's going to fit your philosophy, you know, that's in a neighborhood that's, you know, convenient for you as a working parent, especially if it's both parents that are working outside of the home and commuting and traveling. And, you know, are you driving? Are you taking public transportation? Like there's so many factors that go into this. And, you know, at two months, they're already thinking, you know, at two months of gestation, they're already thinking, I need to start thinking about this now. And we've called them and they're going, unfortunately, that pregnancy did not last, right? Like, it's so bizarre how even in, you know, even, you know, two years later, you kind of have to come back to this name and that person saying that worry that I had no longer existed. Like, it just doesn't. It's just traumatic. And 100%. And you feel like the bad person, right? Because you're like, well, and as somebody who, you know, has experienced loss, um, very early on in, in pregnancy, like it's a traumatic experience. And those reminders, they're not fun, right? Like, yeah. and, and again, that comes back to a bigger issue of putting people in these 
desperate situations where they're literally saying there's no space anywhere. So I need to like, I literally need to climb that tower to try to even just make it, you know, ahead. And then if anything happens, your first instinct isn't to go like, oh, I need to call that childcare center to like take my name off of it. Like that's not going through your head. No, it's just... Or I've had other instances where parents, um, and, and, you know, this is equally awful, you know, not as awful, but it's still awful where, um, maybe that parent is like, you know, their, their child is six, seven months old and they're going, well, I'm not ready to go back to, you know, I'm not ready to go back to work yet. I'd like to take my full maternity leave. I'd like to spend those that full year with my child. And, as a childcare provider, you're going, well, you either have to take it now or you're going to have to go back at the bottom of the wait list. And now you're putting that person in another position of saying, maybe I cannot afford that position right now because, you know, maternity leave pays nothing, you know, like, yes, we get it, but there is a financial sacrifice that you do have to make. Right. Um, especially yeah. if you're, especially if your profession is one that like, like, you know, us, that does not make a living decent, like a decent living wage. Right. Um, and now you're putting that person in a position to make very fast decisions based on, you know, finances, based on whether or not they're actually physically ready to, to let, you know, to start that process. Right. It's, it's, it, we're doing such a disservice to families. Exactly. Now, if you want to listen to the rest of our conversation, do not forget that this is a two-part episode and the next episode will be launched on Sunday, February the 14th at 9 a.m. Again, you can find us on Buzzsprout page, Google Podcasts, Apple Spotify, or excuse me, Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Thank you so much for joining in. We hope you enjoyed it. And again, don't forget to listen for part two. The Child Care Revolution podcast would like to remind our listeners that we are not affiliated with any colleges, universities, associations, or institutions. We're just a couple of passionate educators speaking some thoughts into the air. Thank you for joining us. Please like, follow, and subscribe to listen to more episodes of the Child Care Revolution podcast.